0: Let's begin our reading this morning from Luke 23, verse 44. Luke 23, verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. It was about the sixth hour at noon. And for three hours there was darkness. What happened to the sun that day was timely. The crucifixion of Jesus was indeed the darkest of days. What made it so? I believe when we look at it from his own perspective, it certainly must have been a day of agony. And even the hours leading up to it. A day of dread. A day of humiliation. When we think about Jesus and what he went through, certainly it was a day of agony. The New Testament writers, as they were directed by the Holy Spirit, did not go into detail as to the physical and medical effects of his ordeal. But what they did, they emphasized Jesus' death as the fulfillment of prophecy, the end result of God's plan. You think about that night when he was in the garden praying. Here comes these people into the garden who want to take him. They want to arrest him. They're coming in there with lanterns, torches, with their weapons, with swords, clubs. And we find in Mark 14, they laid their hands on him and they took him. They took him. Surely it was no gentle procedure. Like, would you come with us, please? No, they took him. And then as we continue reading in Mark 14, some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. In Luke's account, we read in Luke 22, now the men who held Jesus mocked him and they beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face, face, and they asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? They took him bound to Pilate. Pilate found no wrong in him. And then Pilate sent him over to Herod, who had jurisdiction in Galilee. And we find there in Luke 23, in verse 11, Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt, and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous rope and sent him back to Pilate. So what did Pilate do with him? He ordered that he be scourged. John 19 and verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. You know, really, during the night, the Jews, when they had him, they really were trying him illegally before they turned him over. To Pilate to the Romans and then here is Pilate ordering that he be scourged that he be whipped and the, when you read about the scourging of the Romans it was a brutal thing that they did it was brutal they would take the victim and strip them of their clothing and, and at times they would even tie them to a low post exposing their back and then taking a short-handed whip with strips of leather hanging from the handle with either jagged pieces of bone or metal to inflict the most maximum damage to the body. This is before there was ever a nail driven to his hands and feet. What Jesus went through, the torture that he went through the night and that morning, And then we find in John 19, verse 2 and 3, that the soldiers then put a crown of thorns on his head, but they just didn't put it on his head. They twisted. They twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. And then we read in John 19, verse 17, And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Calvary. There he is on Mount Calvary. The Roman soldiers nailed him to a cross, and they began the death watch. His quicker-than-normal death took most of the day, prevented them from breaking his legs. As we read earlier in John 19. Some attribute the hastiness of his death to all that had been going on throughout the night and throughout the day. Maybe it played a part, but we've got to remember this about Jesus. He was different. He was unique. Matter of fact, we read in John 10, verse 17 and 18, what Jesus said. He said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of myself. Jesus said, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Here's the thing about Jesus. He did this willingly. He was not forced into this, but he came to do his Father's will. And when he had completed God's plan for him, he yielded his spirit to the Father. And someone down below on the ground, below the cross, took a spear and thrust it into his side to ensure that the gruesome task was done. must have been a day of dread, one I'm sure he didn't look forward to when you look at it from a physical standpoint, being that he was a man here on the earth. But notice with me in Luke chapter 2. I'd like to read from Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 50. <clears throat> and notice something here about Jesus when he was a young man, a, young bo- a boy, 12 years old. He was accustomed to going to Jerusalem every year with his family and with their friends. And when I read this, I think about myself as a young man traveling with my parents and going places with them and maybe friends traveling with us. And and I just, when I read this, I can't help but think about myself and the relationship that I had with my family and with my mother and my father. Luke chapter 2, verse 41, his parents "'went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. "'And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem "'according to the custom of the feast. "'And when they had finished the days, as they returned, "'the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, "'and Joseph and his mother did not know it. "'And supposing him to have been in in the company, "'they went a day's journey "'and sought him among their relatives and friends.' And so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, and both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And so when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? did not that sound like a mother? That's you know, like a mother. Why, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Well, I mentioned a while ago about my own experience growing up. When I was about 14, we were in Colorado, and it was our first trip to Colorado. We were in Durango. And going up to Silverton later that afternoon, and all the grown-ups figured, well, why don't we save some money and go to the grocery store and buy bread and luncheon meat, chips, whatever, and we'll go to the park, and then we'll go on up to Silverton. Well, while I'm sitting out in the car with my brother and my sister and several other of our friends, we're sitting out there thinking, I wonder if they're going to bring anything good back to eat. What about candy? What about cookies? What are, and, and so I volunteered. I'll go in there and I'll persuade them that we need more than just bread and meat. So I went into the store and I'm looking around. and I'm grabbing things that I, I just know that we need. We need this at our picnic before we go up to Silverton. And so as I go up to the front, I'm looking for my parents. And I don't see them anywhere in the store. I don't see anyone that were traveling with us in the store, period. I'm going down each aisle. I'm dropping all the things I've been picking up, realizing I don't have any money to pay for this. So, But where are they? They, And I looked out in the parking lot, and all three cars were gone. I knew they were going to the city park, and all I could think of is, I hope someone misses me. I hope someone will be looking around to see if I'm there or not. And sure enough, there was one person who began to ask, where's Tim? It was my mother. Now, why my brother did not tell them, (laughs) I still don't understand that. But when that big Buick came driving up into that, dry, into that parking lot and my dad was looking for me, I knew I was in big trouble, but I didn't care. I just wanted to be found. And my dad was just as happy to see me and my mother. Jesus' parents were really concerned about their son. And we can understand that having children and grandchildren and how we keep an eye on them when we go out into public, how we want to keep them close by, keep them near to us because we're concerned about their safety. But Jesus knew this as he told his parents, did you not know it must be about my father's business? He knew that one day that business would end on a cross. They didn't understand that. Early on in his ministry, he spoke of the Jews destroying the temple of his body by lifting up the Son of Man. We can read in John 2 and verse 19 when we read of Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They didn't know what he was talking about. And then in John 3 and verse 14, when he told Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He didn't understand either, but Jesus did. And then we find later on where Jesus warned his disciples In Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And He knew what that many things would involve. In Matthew 20, verse 18 through 19, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, as he's saying, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. He knew those many things included scourging. I imagine that Jesus understood somewhat pain. Being the son of a carpenter, I've worked with wood quite a bit in my lifetime and I have gotten my share of splinters. I wonder if Jesus ever got a splinter. He knew what pain was about, but he knew that one day that was going to happen to him we dread the pain of surgery, even when we know that we're going to be given something for the pain. When I had rotator cuff surgery years ago, before I had the surgery, the doctor said, I want to talk to you before we have the surgery. So I came in for an appointment, and he counseled me, and he told me, Now here's what is going to happen, and here's what's going to happen with your recovery, and, and I need to find out how much pain medicine do you want? Here's a doctor asking me, How much pain medicine do I want? what do you think I said? I want all you got. He said, well, we can do that. I said, well, let's do it, and I'll be happy. Jesus knew. Imagine living your life knowing that one day scourging and crucifixion awaits you. He knew what was going to happen to him. In Matthew 26, 38, he said to those men that were with him in the garden that night when he was praying and they were falling asleep, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And and you know, and another thing, when we think about that prayer in the garden, that agonizing prayer of Jesus when he says, Father, if it is your will, if it is your will, even Jesus approached the Father with reverence, and he said, if it is your will, take this cup from away from me, nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. I know many times we think about that, that, that this cup passed from me, and he was referring to his death. Sure it played part of that. But we think about the relationship that Jesus had with the Father from the beginning. They were together. And there was going to come a point where there would be a separation of that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was so much on his mind we, we, we have been reading about the physical pain that he went through, that he must have gone through with, with, with the scourging and with the nailing of those, those nails into his hands and feet, the twisting of the crown of thorns on his head. We think, oh, that must have been terrible. But think about the anguish that he was experiencing, not just physically, but mentally. And not only that, folks... All of us were on his mind that day because of sin, because of sin. And here's what Jesus said to those men who were with him. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. He knew what His purpose was all about. And aren't we grateful and thankful that He did that for us? And He wants us to remember that. And we've come here this day on the first day of the week to reflect upon what Jesus did on our behalf. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's sing these three verses and then we will partake of the Lord's Supper. O me so And it was a day of humiliation. And I think that was shown a few moments ago. And what Brother Beckham said. The disgrace of this day was amplified by its publicity. Everyone knew what was going on, what was happening. When we think about today, modern executions are private Before a handful of somber witnesses, but not so with Jesus' death. Though he was arrested in secret, an angry mob surrounded the Roman tribunal the next morning. His battered body was paraded before them with sarcastic hollering. And even Pilate was saying to the Jews, Behold your king! Behold your king! And then we can find in Luke 23, a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented his death. I mean, this crucifixion procession went through the city all the way out to Golgotha. Everyone could see the accused carrying the instrument of his own death. And like I said, Luke said, a great multitude followed. At Golgotha, the very judges who condemned him stood at the cross mocking and jeering. In Matthew's account in chapter 27, verse 41, likewise the chief priest also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Yeah, right. They had him right where they wanted him. They wanted him on that cross. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And those two criminals that were crucified on each side of him they also ridiculed him as well and there he hung for all to see at the end of the day wicked men felt vindicated but the righteous were disappointed and confused like what's going on here what is going on Crucifixions were considered a shameful event reserved for the worst of criminals. And here is Jesus, a man who lived his life without sin, lived a perfect life being treated the way he was being treated, like the worst of criminals. It was illegal for Roman citizens except in extreme cases. It carried as much or more stigma as the gas chamber or the electric chair of our day. And from a Jewish perspective, crucifixion is about the criteria that we read of in Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 through 23. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is a curse of God. And when a Hebrew committed a capital crime, he was executed and hanged for the remainder of the day to demonstrate God's curse upon him. Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. How did he do this? How did he do this? The sinless son of God submitting to this indignity, the shame, the embarrassment. And I, and I think about his restraint upon those that were around him through the whole ordeal. Before the self-righteous high priest and Pilate, who was so pompous. Humility humility and that's what God is seeking in all of us in Hebrews 12 and verse 3 for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls we know what it's like become weary and discouraged but think about him and consider him who endured that In Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8, Paul wrote to the Philippian brethren, "...let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." And when I think about him on the cross and how that so many of his followers fled, there's one person, though, that comes to my mind who was there at the foot of the cross his mother. 10,000 angels. He could have called for one. But he didn't. Matter of fact, when you think about this song, how it relates. And it's talking about calling 10,000 angels. relates to what Jesus said to Peter. Matthew 26 verse 53, do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? He could have stopped all that was happening to Him, but He didn't. When you think about it, what would have been the outcome had He made that call? No crucifixion, no bloodshed for my sins your sins, sins of the world. If He had called, made that call, no resurrection. If no resurrection, our faith is meaningless. It's empty. If He had made that call, we wouldn't even be here right now. We wouldn't even know each other. But it's because of Him going through what He went through, made all this possible. For us to know each other, to have a relationship with each other, but that relationship would not have been made possible if it wasn't for our relationship with God and His love of giving His Son for the world. There there wouldn't have been a sermon on... I mean, the more I think about it, there wouldn't have been a sermon on the day of Pentecost Where we read about some 3,000 that were baptized that day. None of that would have happened. All that Christianity is hinges upon what Jesus did and his resurrection. And without the resurrection, it is nothing. And if you have any hope for the future, it must be based on the fact that you serve a risen Savior. Jesus died and is now alive, sitting at the right hand of God. So how did God, how did Jesus, the Lord, survive this darkest of days, a day of agony, a day of dread, humiliation? It's because He had His eyes fixed upon heaven of being back with His Father, and we must have our eyes fixed upon heaven as well. Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a wonderful story. Amidst that dreadful day, a light was shining The cross of Christ testifies, as nothing else could, of God's love and desire to help us. There may be someone here this morning who has not obeyed Jesus Christ. And when you think about what this man did while he was here on the earth, and what he did as he went through his life and came to the end of his life on this earth, there was a reason behind it. In hopes that you would be obedient to Him. Look what He has done. He's done His part. Now, what will you do? Will you come to Him? You don't come to me. You don't come to anyone here. You come to the Lord through obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing in Him and turning your life to Him leaving the world and turning your life from sin with a penitent heart, confessing his name. And I encourage people, you just don't confess his name when you obey the gospel and have your sins washed away in baptism. You confess him every day you live for the rest of your life. But you can have your sins washed away in baptism, raised to walk a new life in him. And you do that now while we stand and sing the way of the cross leads home